Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. So this study looked at several countries. It's an Asia-Pacific study, but you know, we looked at a country level because that's the information that our customers and partners are interested in, whether they're in government sector or in the private sector. So the countries include Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, India, and then with the ASEAN space, the four countries I mentioned before, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Indonesia. So in this space, the first takeaway was that again, digital fluency yields massive economic benefits. As an example, those with advanced digital skills raised the Asia Pacific GDP by an estimated 934 billion, so pretty close to a trillion. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and everyone needs to build a tech-savvy workforce for the Asia Pacific region from startups to enterprise. With me today, an ex-colleague, Emmanuel Pillai, Head of Training and Certification for ASEAN from Amazon Web Services to help us understand the economic benefits of building digital skill sets for the new digital economy. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Bernard, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and really excited to get into the conversation with you. Yes, and I would probably be saying that as a customer now for AWS, I have actually sent an entire team to get the training and certification for the solution architect and it evolves very good fruits for some of my employees and some of them even went onto LinkedIn and talk about the benefits of actually being certified. But I want to start off by getting to know you better. Obviously, we are all very busy when we were all in AWS. So how do you start your career? Well, and thanks for that question. Again, thanks for having me. As you mentioned, I'm Emmanuel. I lead training and certification for Amazon Web Services. I've been in this role about three years, although it feels a lot longer than three years. And in terms of where I started my career, I have a very strong scientific background. So I did my undergraduate in physics and chemistry. And that was primarily because I had a very strong inclination and fascination with science. And just starting there, going into physics, was where I wanted to end up. But my career guidance counselor mentioned to me in college that physicists don't get jobs very easily. It's either academia or they get hired to do something else. And so uh, asked me to figure out another major. And so I double majored in physics and chemistry and then enjoyed that and then got my doctorate in chemistry. But it was really a combination of chemistry and physics. It was gas phase, quantum chemistry, essentially. The approach at that point was I wanted to be in industry. So immediately got a job working with customers in the chemical industry. And this was in the U.S. And what I really enjoyed at that point was interacting with customers and understanding customer pain points. And that's really where I saw the interaction between science and business management. And I had to decide at that point where I wanted to end up, and it took a while. But 
Following that active ended academia, and I spent about a year plus being an instructor at the National University of here, National University of Singapore here. And there really enjoyed the education and the teaching component that comes with academia. But the one thing that I was missing was the speed, the pace. And that I think is just a personality trait. And so I moved back into the industry and took on management roles working for a U.S. corporation called IDEX Corporation. And we were in the optical industry serving markets in the semiconductor and life science. So that's where my career moved. And I was in management and then became managing director for the Japan and Korea and some of our China businesses. Eventually, that led to a role in Amazon.com on the retail side. And that happened because I completed my MBA whilst I was working. And I was also looking for some avenue into the tech space and got to the dot-com side. And then whilst there, realized that AWS was such a crown jewel business in terms of growth, in terms of the impact it was making in the industries that it was serving. And so I was looking out for roles that might match my interest as well as where I could create value for the business. And so training and certification was a role that was open at that point and I entered and have not looked back. So I know it was not a linear path, I'd say that, number one. And mm-hmm. it had lots of both opportunistic events that took place, as well as me sort of deciding hey, this wasn't quite right for me and I was looking for some kind of a change. So that's mm. how I got here. That's an interesting pathway from Amazon.com then to AWS. I guess maybe to help also the audience here, what is your role and coverage within AWS currently as the head of training and certification? So as head of training and certification, I cover the ASEAN region. So within AWS, ASEAN is, of course, the 10 countries that form the ASEAN region. We, of course, have the big six countries, which is Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, and the Philippines, and of course, Indonesia. And then we have the other four. Plus, we also cover Pakistan within the ASEAN region here. So that is my coverage here. Within that, of course, I cover customers and work with customers both in the private sector, but also in the government space. And we have teams here that serve from both the business development side and then technical instructors who deliver our training content, both in classroom format. And of course, during the pandemic, there was the virtual delivery as well. So because you came from academia into industry and then now in the tech sector, what are the key lessons you can share with my audience about your career journey? Several. The first was to always look for opportunities that came my way. I would say one of the things that I realized earlier on in my career was I had at best 50% control over my career. The other 50% was opportunities that seemed to just cross my path at the right time. Let's just call it for what it is. Sometimes it's planetary alignment, being at the right place at the right time or an opportunity that is offered and saying just yes, as long as the opportunity had at least a couple of vectors that matched. So for example, if it required business development or it required analytical thinking that very much lined up. The other was being able to pick up and learn skills continuously. So whether that's hard skills, going from science background into business management, I had to figure out how to read a PNL statement, understanding a balance sheet. And these were pretty hard finance skills, but still something that was doable given the mathematical skills that come from a scientific training. 
But soft skills, customer engagement, how do you sell a product? How do you create value for a customer and present that value in a way that's understandable? I wish I had learned this earlier, but I've learned this later on, which is the ability to learn through community events as well as activity-based learning. I think it took me a while to move from a traditional form of learning to activity-based learning and challenge-based learning. And of course, finding mentors was also critical. But mentors in the sense, not any sort of formal mentorship relationship, but having people come across in your career from whom you just go, you know what, they have certain qualities that certainly that I would like to emulate or learn that I don't have at the moment was also pretty, pretty interesting. And I'll finally say this as well, which is embracing new technologies. And I think we'll get into that a little bit later, especially technologies where we can see that it solves a customer pain point or elevates a user experience. Of course, with technology, there's what I'd call technology fads. And that can turn into a hobby that's good if the hobby matches what you'd like to do. But whether can you build a career around it, it's questionable. However, if a technology is clearly solving customer pain points or elevating a user experience, you know that it's got life in it and it'll move forward. And that thing is also very important. Mm. And of course, that comes to the main subject of the day. I want to talk about AWS training and certification and also building a tech-savvy workforce in the region. Before we start to talk about the main topic, can you introduce the global vision and mission of Amazon Web Services, aka AWS, and its current footprint in the Asia-Pacific? Sure. So for about 15 years, AWS or Amazon Web Services has been the world's most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud offering. So, and we are continually expanding our services to support virtually any cloud workload. And today we have over 200 fully featured services. So in compute, storage, databases, networking, analytics, a field that you're an expert in, machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, security, virtual, augmented reality, and so on. We have over 96 availability zones and 30 geographic regions. So within the Asia-Pacific area, we have regions in Australia, New Zealand's been announced, Japan, South Korea, closer to ASEAN, where I'm based, Singapore as a region, Indonesia has launched, and then we publicly made announcements for a region launch in Malaysia as well as in Thailand. So our footprint is strong across the Asia-Pacific region, and we are continuously expanding, and we're just getting started is how I would say this. I think it's still um, in the early days we will always talk about, but one interesting thing I want to get into really this your own subject matter. Can you provide a more comprehensive overview of, say, what training and certification means in the AWS context and, of course, also to the broader ecosystem? For example, your customers and partners who wants to train their workforce on cloud computing or maybe the other services, for example, the one I used to be leading, which is AIML in the Asia-Pacific. Absolutely. And to do that, I want to just set some context here, right? APJ, what we call Asia Pacific and Japan, um, or APAC, is undergoing rapid digital transformation. And our opportunity to become leaders in the digital economy really depends on having a robust workforce of skilled professionals who can support that incredible pace of innovation. So at AWS, we are collaborating with governments, educators, and industry to help individuals, both tech and non-tech workers build these vital digital skills so that we nurture a workforce that can harness the power of cloud computing to advance the APJ economy. So that's where we begin. So within training and certification, we provide in-demand cloud skills to learners from all different backgrounds 
so that they can leverage AWS Cloud to innovate in the digital world. We also assist and help and empower business leaders to drive business outcomes and lead transformation within their own organizations so they can deliver the type of outcomes that those organizations. The certification component of training and certification is where we help learners validate their skills. I mean, you just talked a little bit about some of your members going and getting certification. That's an ability to validate and build confidence and credibility for the learner, but also for employers to be able to recognize learners and builders who have these capabilities so they can be brought on board to support projects and cloud projects that are either in progress or about to begin. We also have another component, which is our AWS education programs. And so these are programs that are developing the next generation of cloud talent. And so these programs like AWS Educate or AWS Academy are programs where we embed and provide free curriculum to universities or schools. And these curriculum can be taught to children as young as 10 years old or university students where AWS Academy curriculum is interspersed within an overall computer science program. When I was doing the machine learning, we also have the Deep Racer program where companies can also use it as part of the education piece That's as correct. well, right? Right. So when it comes to learning, the programs, of course, are, are critical but also the modality. So we at TIA Training and Certification offer training that is classroom-based. And so there it's led by AWS experts, instructors, and provides hands-on experience, hands-on labs, as well as classroom interactions for learners to learn. But mm. beyond the classroom, we also have what we call AWS a Skill Builder, which is an online self-paced, on-demand learning center. We have over 600 videos that are free that can be accessed with an email address and internet connection. And we offer them in local languages in the Asia-Pacific region, which is very critical because we are countries where local languages are necessary to be able to, to meet the skilling needs. So we have these videos in Japanese, in Korean, in, and again in ASEAN. We have over videos in, 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 the, in Bahasa, in Vietnamese, as well as in Thai. So we also have AWS CloudQuest, which is the only gamified, role-based learning environment for cloud skills that we have launched. And it's available now in Singapore and Indonesia within the ASEAN region, but also available in the Asia Pacific, in Japan, in Korea, in Australia, and New Zealand and India as, as well. And this is another form where individuals placed in an immersive environment and are able to build a city but learning cloud skills along the way. And we actually have, have this based on role type. So it could be a cloud practitioner basic or a solutions architect or even a machine learning practitioner. And so we are always sort of one we wish to innovate in terms of both the content, but also the learning modalities. For me, when I took on my current role as a CIO of an organization, because of my familiarity with AWS, I know what kind of certification programs to help my team and also to benchmark for my employer to know specifically how do you see someone with certification and ability to do cloud deployments as such. But I think there's a lot of organizations out there who may not have that benefit when they're about to start their digital transformation process. How do they engage AWS then to upskill and train their employees then? It's a great question because we find a lot of customers in that phase of cloud adoption, whether they are a large enterprise or they are a small, medium business or they are a startup. So the way to start here is, 
of course, figuring out the level of content that's available. And AWS Training and Certification, we have content that's free on demand, as I mentioned. So we have over 600 videos that anyone can access. And that'll give someone, given an organization or an individual, a good sense of what are the skills that are required, either based on role or service type. And so that's probably a good place to start. The other component is, of course, reaching out to AWS itself, whether and anyone on my team, so where we are easily accessible through either our website or I'll leave my contact information with you at the end of this, where we can provide customized, tailored programs for large enterprises or even semi-large businesses. So an example would be Techcom Bank in Vietnam, where they decided to go from on-prem structure to cloud adoption and upskilling hundreds of engineers was part of that adoption strategy. So we work with them to build a customized training plan over a multi-year plan. And we have trained over 2000 engineers over that time period, both on basic cloud fluency, but also some of the specialty topics like data analytics, security, and AI ML. Mm. The one thing that I find usually employees don't think about is the benefits that certifications bring to the talent of the organizations. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? There's also something in terms of trying to build a, a digital workforce to like in the case of what you talk about the Techcom Bank situation in Vietnam. I also see that being done with DBS as well in Singapore as well. Right. Yes. As you mentioned, we work with this with the DBS and upskilling existing talent force. So one of the things that any large employer will find in terms of cloud adoption, one of the biggest inhibitors to cloud adoption is a lack of skills and the lack of talent. And when we go to the marketplace to find this talent, either the talent does not exist or when it is, does exist, there's a lot of competition for that talent. And you have some good data points around this. Of course, pandemic, the match between open roles versus talent availability, I think there was like an order of magnitude difference between the two. So what's important is, and this is what we encourage our or most of our customers, is that your existing workforce already understands your culture, already understands the processes. They've already been with the business. And that's a critical part of being successful within an organization. So upskilling them has benefits both for the organization as well as for the individuals, because now they are able to add and contribute to the economy as well as to the organization. So in that piece, we have, for example, a study of Forrest, a study that's again publicly available, where we looked at about a couple of organizations and upskilling the existing employees had a 200% plus ROI because these employees did not have to go and find net new talent to be able to support their cloud projects. That's one. The second component of this is a lot of the workforce might actually have skills that are transferable. So an engineer who may have coding skills for on-prem structures, getting that engineer to transfer to cloud base is a very much straightforward path than trying to get a net new person coming in and upskilling them. So there are some real benefits to be able to do this. The third part of this is that the ability to innovate. Innovation requires individuals to have those necessary skill sets, but also to understand company culture and also to understand companies' customers. And so those are things that if we were to get net new talent, those just take time to build. 
And so we encourage all of our employees to look at your existing employees and ensure that they have access to these trainings. And finally, I'd also say this, right? I mean, this is something that, especially for myself, coming from a non-tech space, had to pick up the technology piece here. And this is doable. Like if I can do it, anyone can do it, given that there's so much content and resources available today for, that are easy accessible. Mm. So this is the one question I always ask. What's the one thing you know about training and certification from AWS that not many people would know about? Uh, I know several, of course, right? Being the head of training and certification, I know you asked for one, but I'll mention two. The first is what I just mentioned, right? Organizations that upskill their existing workforce, they actually see an ROI in the 100% and above. And of course, you know, we looked at select number of organizations, but this can be attributed to other organizations as well. And the reason for that, again, is you have employees who, who understand the company culture. And so providing them with the right skill sets, as well as working with AWS training and certification, we are able to provide this years of experience, our global experience to build customized training programs that can drive this level of innovation within your organization. So that's one. The second is just the amount of free stuff that we offer, right? And this is easily accessible. And so finding that and being able to consume that on self-based on demand. So the 600 plus videos that I just mentioned is one. CloudQuest, gamified learning for cloud skills. The engagement of users, we anecdotally can see that there's a higher level of engagement because it's gamified. And so being able to you know, access that, I think also is something that we want everyone to be aware of at this point. Mm, interesting. I will add for the AIML, there will be jumpstart for people who need to learn machine learning with AWS. But I want to get to the most interesting part of today's conversation, which is also the reason why I got you here to actually tell me more about is that recently AWS in collaboration with Gallup released a very interesting report called The Economic Benefits of a Tech-Savvy Workforce Study. One, one thing I've read the report was that it explores the economic benefits that digital skills provide for individuals, organizations, and even national economies. And specifically in ASEAN, there are 10 big nations with very, very different characteristics and culture. So can you summarize what are the key takeaways from that report? Absolutely. And as you just mentioned, we partnered with Gallup to conduct the study. The study has been quoted in many media at this point, I think over 500 references at this point. And so let me talk about the five main takeaways. The first is that digital fluency yields massive economic benefits. So at the Asia Pacific level, so this study, by the way, did look looked at several countries. It's an Asia Pacific study, but you know, we looked at a country level because that's the information that our customers and partners are interested in, whether they're in government sector or in the private sector. So the countries include Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, India, and then in the ASEAN space, the four countries I mentioned before, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Indonesia. So in this space, the first, the first takeaway was that again, digital fluency yields massive economic benefits. As an example, those with advanced digital skills raise the Asia Pacific GDP by an estimated 934 billion, so pretty close to a trillion. And so this is a large impact on the overall GDP. So they're not just, and if that's happening at the, at the overall GDP level, you can see that there's all probably, there is an impact at the community level as well. So that's number one. The second is 
that digitally skilled workers in Asia Pacific have a higher job satisfaction and efficiency. So for example, those with advanced digital skills have 79% job satisfaction compared with others that have either basic or intermediate digital skills. So advanced digital skills in this case, what we define here is the ability to architect on cloud development and developers as well, right? And, then, and again, but I should also mention that this study is freely available on our website. I encourage your listeners to go and have access to this. The third part of this is that digital skills investment yields business dividends. And what we mean that by this is that organizations with digitally skilled workforces are significantly outperforming non-digital peers. As an example, 66% of Asia-Pacific organizations that employ these workers are at least seeing a revenue growth of 10% or more year on year. And part of that, and, and we, we can see this anecdotally, where organizations who are able to innovate on cloud can recognize new revenue streams. An example that I can mention is Globe Telecom in the Philippines, who, whilst going through crowd adoption, came up with the GCash app. So the GCash app is a micro-lending payments app developed by a telco, who normally you don't associate with developing an app for micro-payments, but it was developed pre-pandemic, and then GCash took off in terms of adoption. And today, I believe over two-thirds of, of Filipinos, Filipino adults use the GCash app, and now it's been spun off into a new company. So those are the kind of examples that you can see in terms of innovation, right? Let's go to the fourth one. That, but there are barriers to digital training and are nearly as pervasive as the interest in acquiring it. And you mentioned one of, the, one of the comments here, right? Which is, people just don't know how to start. Where do I begin? And so that's why I give them the simplest route, which is go to our skill builder platform, which provides free training initially of an access to these 600 videos that has stepwise uh, directions on whether it's role-based or service-based. The other component of this is that employers also finding hard to find talent for their technology projects because they have a requirement for bachelor's degree. However, when we do speak to our, these employers and say, if an employee who does not have a bachelor's degree but has certifications, like the certificate, like a solutions architect certification, mm -hmm. for example, that can be a substitute if it's associated with a specific project, right? A cloud project. So that's number four. And then finally, building a futurity workforce, we are seeing new emerging technologies as something that most organizations will want to invest in or they believe it become a significant part of their business strategy. And these include either 5G, artificial intelligence, or robotics. So, for example, when asked how likely is it that these technologies would be part of your new future, 67% of our of APAC employers said that it would be most likely at least one of those technologies. So those are the five takeaways. And then, of course, we have this at the country level as well. I think it's a very interesting set of takeaways, but I'm so curious, what are the data sources that were used to build out the report? Of course, it's in collaboration with Gallup. How do you all put it together so that you can get to these insights? Great. So the research methodology here is survey-based. And so we surveyed workers as well as we surveyed employers. And in every country, we surveyed a thousand plus workers and hundreds of employers within a specific country. So whether it was Indonesia or Malaysia. So for example, in Indonesia, we looked at about 1,400 workers and about 340, 350 employers. The workers were eligible to participate in the survey, the first part of the survey, they had to be employed. 
and they had to be eligible for the digital skills section if they either handled information and were using a computer. That's on the individual side. On the employer side, they were eligible if they were employed and then had a mid or senior level business leader who was an information IT type leader and an IT decision maker. And it was either in the private or the public sector. And the organization needed to have at least five or more employees. So those were the conditions. And then we looked at very different industries as well. And you are aware, probably aware, Gallup is globally renowned for running these kind of surveys and macroeconomic studies. And so they ran this on our behalf. Mm. With the arrival of digital workers, what are the kind of benefits for national economies on that front? Let me take you through just three countries that you know you and I are familiar with, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, which is okay, close to, to ASEAN, but we have this for other countries as well. So for example, in Singapore, that workers who use advanced digital skills contribute $61.8 billion to the overall GDP of Singapore. And the overall Singapore GDP, which I already said, is about $350 billion to about $400 billion. So this is a sizable chunk of the overall Singapore GDP. Let's take Indonesia, for example. So Indonesia, the contribution is $129 billion as, as a contribution. In Malaysia, it's $105 billion. And so, of course, those numbers have to be adjusted for the GDP per capita or the number of the population itself. But these are significant contributions to, to the overall national economies. One interesting thing is that there are also different levels for digital workers, right? How do we distinguish, say, between a digital worker who is very skilled in terms of cloud computing versus, say, a software engineer who may be also skilled in software development? And how do, does the report addresses that then? The report puts workers into three different categories, basic digital skills, intermediate digital skills, or advanced digital skills. So in basic digital skills, comprises of word processors, other office productivity software, and social media, right? Intermediate digital skills was similar, was required draw, drag drop like website design, troubleshooting applications, and data analysis. Being able to. And then advanced digital skills was cloud architecture, as I mentioned before, or maintenance, software application or development, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. So that's how we categorize the workers within these three buckets. Mm, that's interesting. So I think the most interesting take from the report, as I've read, is that seven in 10 employers in Asia-Pacific countries are actually facing digital hiring challenges. And one part is that is there's a strict bachelor degrees requirements. I know this for Singapore, and that was why I sent some of my team to certify because they are not university graduates. So the reason for this requirement is, of course, to help the employers to set a minimum standard or bar, you know, for minimum qualification or signal for hiring specific to the immigration policy of that country. So one question is whether removing that barrier may or may not help the filtering of the candidates. So maybe the question is, what are your perspectives in terms of whether companies should move that requirement? So let's start with what the study said in Singapore. And we went mm. to Singapore, right? So 77% of Singaporean employees, and this is across different sectors, they agreed or strongly agreed that a digital certification or training is an acceptable substitute for a university degree. So this is coming from the employers. And you know, we do these studies for the, for, on behalf of our customers and on behalf of our, our partners so that we understand where they stand and how, again, AWS can assist. 
So I think the fact that 77% of employers in Singapore state this means there's probably reason to relook at this, right? Number one. Number two, every business and every sector is going to have some uniqueness there that it's hard to just paint across with a broad brush and say completely eliminate this requirement for a bachelor's degree because there are other pieces in the play, as you mentioned, like immigration requirements as well. But the key here is if we are uh, looking for employees to come in and assist or drive digital transformation, this requirement, the requisite skills, it appears at this point, is to have digital certifications and cloud certifications as a strong or a potential substitute for university degrees. Mm. So can you talk about the opportunities for digital workers in specific areas such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, maybe Web3, cryptocurrencies, and even 5G? As you mentioned, those technologies came up as technologies that the customers who were surveyed feel that this will be a critical, at least one of those technologies will be a critical part of their future at some point in the near future. Particularly machine learning in AI has wide applications and is on everybody's mind today. For AWS, we believe in the fullness of time, literally every company in every industry is going to be using ML materially and to make lives better. Where we see our customers using AIML is to improve customer experience, operational efficiency, decision-making, and also to recognize and identify revenue streams. We have over 100,000 customers globally using machine learning today. From a training and certification standpoint, we offer courses on our AIML service called SageMaker, both for beginners as well as advanced AIML practitioners. And so I do encourage those who have interest in this to check out these courses. We have some free videos online, but we also have classroom-based training and also our skill builder has a specific path on machine learning pathway. Mm, I thought I should just add, Bitmaker is basically the machine learning platform for Amazon Web Services where builders, for those people who want to build, deploy their machine learning models, they can actually, it's actually platform agnostic. And I think that's one of the beauties of that. This is a very interesting conversation. But my last question then, what does GREAT look like for AWS training and certification in the Asia Pacific? Let me start with what we've done so far, which is we have trained over 6 million individuals in the Asia Pacific region since 2017 with CloudScale, and we're just getting started. In, in ASEAN, we've trained over 700,000, and again, we're just getting started. For us, great here is first, anyone who's looking to learn about cloud, either for basic cloud fluency knowledge, or was looking to build and develop on cloud, or looking to advance their skills into some of the specialty services like AIML, data analytics, or security, is able to find this content in a way that's easy to digest on demand self-paced, but also being able to learn in a community forum and then is able to do that. So democratizing access to this learning is it would be great. The second is organizations, no matter how large or how small, are able to provide training for their team members, and that training leads to greater innovation and efficiency. 
And the final part of this is we are firm believers that individuals who have strong digital skills are going to impact their communities in a strong way and have economic benefits at the community level, at the country level. And so continuing to provide these skills in an easy, accessible way, and then seeing these individuals take these skills on to develop products for their communities is the other part of this greatness. Spoken like a true Amazonian. And many thanks for coming on the show and have this conversation with me. I learned so much more about training and certification on things that I didn't even know about until you told me today. In closing, I have two quick questions. My first question is, do you have any recommendations that have inspired you recently? Yes. And it's usually people for me that inspire me. And I select two groups of people. The first is very personal and the other one is still personal, but not as personal. The first I'd say is my wife who has to manage a full-time job, the kids, a family. And I think there are lots of folks pre and then post-pandemic who are just everyday heroes who have just gone through a very difficult time and still make it look easy. And I think that's always inspiring. The other component I would say in Indonesia, we have a program called Laptop for Builders where we provide laptops for children in high school and vocational school, and we teach them basic cloud skills. And typically these are children who don't have access to laptops. And just how they've been able to learn during some very difficult circumstances and environment. And we, you know, we've seen kids with disabilities being able to build static websites and sell products that their parents make, like cookies and, and pastries. has just been super inspiring. So I think the people that we work with and the family members, I'd say, are the ones that continue to inspire me. Mm, great recommendations. So how do my audience find you? You can look me up on LinkedIn. It's probably one of the ways, Emmanuel Billet. AWS, I don't think there's too many of how to move with that profile. I will, of course, leave my email address, which is D uh, for D-P-I-L-L-A-I at Amazon.com. They can email us. We love to hear from our customers and partners around where the cloud adoption strategy and journey is, whether you're just starting out in the middle of the journey or you want to now move to the advanced services, and we will get back. And so, yeah. And finally, of course, our AWS certification website is easily accessible as well. There's tons and tons of content there, no matter where you are on your cloud journey. You can definitely find this podcast in any podcast platform, but of course, subscribe to our new YouTube channel. And most importantly, sign up for the newsletter where every month I will just do a summary of all the highlights of the conversations that I have and obviously this conversation as well. Emmanuel, many thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Gunal. It's been a pleasure to be here with you.